Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fanatical Fridays with Mickey Baines. My name is Zach Boozy Cruz from Enrollify. Uh, Mickey is calling in from, well, where exactly are you this week, Mickey? Uh, I'm hanging out by uh, the ocean here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, taking a little time with the family this week. Uh, we have our house and not our house, a rented house. Let's be clear. I, I do not own a home at the beach, but um, we rented a house. We got a little pool, we got a nice relative, relatively secluded area of beach uh, where we can keep um, our distance from everyone else and let the kids uh, have a great time. We can hear the the waves in the background. I'm I'm very jealous calling in yeah. from uh, from DC here. I, I thought I would, yeah <laughs> to rub it in. I thought I'd start the call so you could at least hear that to know that I'm not making this up. Uh, that that's where I am. But I'm still calling in to have this call because it is important. I think that we have this call um, even when I'm on vacation. It's that important. I love it. I love it. Thanks for uh, joining us on uh, our second episode here of Fanatical Fridays with Mickey Baines. Our goal with this segment each week is to discuss the traits, the strategies, and the tactics that separate the best enrollment teams from the rest of the pack. So we're, we got a lot uh, to talk about today. Mickey, I want to just start by putting you on the spot and asking you to share anything and everything that uh, you might have been noodling on over the past week with respect to admissions, enrollment marketing, uh, or really anything that's just uh, been uh, particularly inspiring or, or moving to you this week? Well, so um, we, we just passed the June 1 mark as we're recording this, uh, and I'm on vacation. And so when I'm on vacation, I do pivot my thinking a little bit. Um, and I'll share with you, at, at Kennedy & Company, we um, kind of launched our first uh book club initiative. And so in a few weeks, I'll be facilitating a conversation around a book that we collectively um, selected for the company. And the book is uh, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead, ah. uh, her, her most recent book. And so I guess I've been noodling more about that. And, and I guess to make this relevant here, you know, I think it's more relevant as we, we look at um, how we operate and maybe for a professional development purpose, how we react and respond um, to various situations when they come at us. And we've had a lot of situations come at us um, recently, and and it impacts us all in different ways. And I think understanding how our body is reacting and how our emotions are being fueled is important. Uh, and, and thinking about that in terms of how it connects us in the conversations we have with others. You know, how is it coming across? Not that it can be not even anything relevant to the current situation of what's happening outside of work, but it's impacting how we react and respond um, to various work scenarios. If, if numbers are up from your June one, um, then you may one, um, or if they're down, how we respond is going to be different potentially right now because of a pandemic, because of rioting and all of the things going on and it impacts us and, and having some awareness to that, uh, and awareness of ourselves. I've been thinking about that for myself. How am I responding? How am I reacting? Um, and it, it, it has impact. So that's, that's on my mind. That's, that's what's been going on my mind for the past few days. Have you guys, are you, how about you? Ha, well, well, quick, quick follow up first. Uh, how far into sure. the book are you sure. guys? Are you guys just starting the book? 
We're just starting. Okay. Um, so I'd say this is the first real week uh, of everyone reading, but we're waiting, giving everyone a couple more weeks to read the book, and then we'll have uh, a group facilitation call. And, and I'm kind of prepping. Um, and so one of the things I've done, and I've not done this before, and I, and I even told the team I'm a little self-conscious about it, I'm recording kind of quote unquote selfie videos. I, I've never done a selfie video. And, selfie videos. Um, nice. I feel I've, I feel a little old about it, but I'm just talking a little bit about, you know, why, because this was one of the books I offered up as, as it. And so since it was selected, why I thought it was important. And then uh, as I come across, because I'm rereading the book now, this is probably the fifth or sixth time I've read the book. But as I'm hitting other points that stand out to me or important to me, either when I first read it or right now, just recording two, three minute segments on that to give them other things to think about hopefully for themselves and the team and uh, and then we'll bring it full circle into a to a good facilitation in a couple of weeks i love it we'll have to uh revisit that uh in in a few weeks once you guys have had that conversation i'm very curious to, to hear how that goes i love uh Brene brown and think she's chock full of wisdom so i'd love to maybe even pick apart some of the lessons she highlights and you know transform that or or help explain how that might fit well into the context of these conversations that we have. So uh, we'll have to we'll have to circle back on that. Um, in terms of what would love to, yeah, yeah. In terms of what's been on my mind uh, over the past week, obviously this has been a 2020. I, in, in so many ways, I would just love to hit the the reset, the restart button on, as I'm sure many of us would. Um, you know, it's it's impossible not to discuss and and just just note quickly. The peaceful protest, the the rioting, everything that's happening in response to the death of George Floyd, and one of the things that I think, as this as it pertains to our conversation today, that I've been thinking a lot about is how enrollment teams respond in crisis, right? And specifically, I, I went and spent a little bit of time over the past couple of days. Uh, this was, you know, no true experiment, no true market research here, but just going through different press releases that schools have issued um, surrounding uh, George Floyd's death, surrounding, you know, again, COVID-19 and everything still happening with whether or not schools will open um, or not or how they will open this fall. And one of the things that has just been really striking to me is and, and again, I, I hope I'm not being insensitive saying this, but is the lack of, of creativity in these communications, right? Like these communications are more or less identical, uh, very, 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 very similar from institution to institution. And I understand, again, from a PR standpoint, why uh, it's incredibly important that, uh, that schools be, be careful with what they say and how they say it. And, um, you know, the internal PR review of processes, uh, while they differ at, from institution to institution, I know, um, at least for many institutions, it's a fairly rigorous process. Um, however, I have just been, been stunned, Mickey, in how little difference there is in these communications from institution to institution. And I feel like in these these moments of of crisis, these moments of fear, these this moment these moments of 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 opportunity to to reform, to do new things, to to stand up for what's right, um I'm I'm honestly uh underwhelmed that institutions aren't a little bit more uh provocative, a little bit more uh, creative, a little bit more inspirational in their their communication. So I, again, I, I I don't know if if uh, I don't mean to be insensitive here. I just think that there's huge opportunity for our listeners to think really critically about even in responses to 
these tragic events, even in response to something like a COVID-19 global pandemic that's totally disrupting higher education, there are still ways to be creative with your communications. You don't have to just copy and paste uh, what another institution has said. Um, And I really do think every touch point with a student especially right now, is an opportunity for inspiration. And I guess I just have seen a dearth of inspiration in these communications, um, which has been something notable that, that, uh, that I've observed this week. Okay. Yeah, it's, I understand very much kind of where you're coming from there. I, you know, part of me says, you know, maybe that's the role of a press release today and how do we build something else around that? beyond the press release. Um, I would say taking ourselves out of just this moment and looking at press releases in general, what do they really convey and what are the, what is their role in getting messaging across and how do we use other modes of communication to really get the emotional side of the information we want out, the inspirational side of what we want out, um, aside from the, the standard press release. Yeah, yeah. And, and Does again, that make sense at all? No, that makes a ton of sense. And I guess maybe what I'm saying is that it's less about needing to revise the standard press release and more about coupling that communication with a series of other communications that get at the heart of the matter, um, which I think is what you're saying. And, and yes. I think it's just been... Again, and, and this this I went and just looked at about 15 institutions over the past couple of days and, and read through their sort of responses and just... Uh, ju- just was was underwhelmed um, and and really thought there was there could have been more creativity laced into how things were communicated, action plans, uh, uh, etc. Um, but on a uh, completely different note, um, on a on a slightly more more positive note, another thing that I've been thinking a lot about um, is conversion. And Nick, Mickey, you talk about like this need to really define like what a conversion is. Um, with respect to to enrollment marketing, and uh, from my vantage point, at least, maybe you, maybe you disagree with this here, but we, when we think about conversions and we talk about conversions, we talk about people that are going through taking actions that give you more information about them. So, going through a form is sort of the clearest way to define a conversion um, as far as we're concerned. When a user is going through a form, they're giving you information about their interests, their their uh, their program of interests. Their, their start term of interest, et cetera, uh, we consider that to, to be a conversion. And Unbounce, which is uh, a landing page creation software, they are also just a, a uh, pretty robust thought leader. They put a lot out there with respect to marketing communications and, and conversion rate optimization. They just launched this awesome new benchmark report called Unbounce's 2020 Conversion Benchmark Report. You can just Google it and, and, and find it. But what was super interesting to me about this report is they broke it down by industry. So they actually analyzed uh, close to 7,900 different educate what they call education landing pages. And this included K-12 schools, undergraduate institutions, and graduate institutions um, that have a- achieved 58 million conversions. So of those, you know, 7,900 landing pages, 5.8 million conversions on those pages. And just a a few kind of notable, it's this, this report is really worth sort of like reading in its entirety, but a few notable takeaways 
um, from specifically from the education landing pages that they analyzed was that landing pages uh, had substantially higher conversion rates when they contained 500 words or less on the page. Um, they talked about, and this, this actually was the most interesting takeaway for me, they talked about how there was no actual correlation between joyful or, or more uh, quote-unquote empowering language um, to higher conversion rates. So a lot of education pages, especially in higher ed, talk about, you know, achieve more here or advance your career here. Um, and from their analysis, they actually found that that more again, quote unquote, joyful or, or inspirational language has, there, there's no correlation between using words like that and an increase in conversion, which I thought was, was particularly interesting. And then finally, uh, they, from a, from a contact generation standpoint, from a new contact generation standpoint, they note that content is still king. So in term, if in fact the goal of a campaign that you're launching is to generate new names for uh, for your your enrollment pipeline, the best way to do that is to offer some sort of uh, premium content resource, a guide, an ebook, right? Some some report, something that uh, users would be able to would be willing to exchange information for in order in order to access is is the number one source of of new contact generation for again these 7,900 landing pages that they that they analyzed. So again, that was a lot, but those are those are two very different things, um, but two things that I've been I've been noodling on over the past week. Well, that's a lot to noodle on. It is. It is. It must be keeping you up at night. Yeah, yeah, you know, um I yeah, it 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 certainly it certainly does some nights, but um but yeah, any any comments on that uh, Mickey, any anything else you want to add? Well, I can tell you I'm going to be checking out that site to read that report. Uh, I think it'll definitely come in handy as I think about landing pages and the use of them, uh, you know, in a time when we're counting even more than normal, you know, every single prospective student we have out there and how well we're converting on them at every stage inside of the enrollment journey, you know, thinking of, of, about something as important as a landing page has some major impact, especially if you're using, you know, the digital channel as a way to generate a significant portion of your leads. You know, that type of information is is going to be critical to have and consider um, as you look at your current or any future uh, pages you have out there. Yep, couldn't agree more. And you know, I I do think that uh, this report is worth reading. Uh, we can include this in, in we can include a link to it in the show notes so people can can check it out as well. Um, Mickey, I actually want to transition if it's cool with you, and I want to ask you something that I've heard you speak about um, a fair amount, and was was hoping you could just uh, kind of speak to what this what this means to you. Um, with you know, with respect to kind of where we are in in reality right now, in in this particular moment in society, um, but you talk a lot about the need for enrollment management teams uh, to to operate like an OPM, um, and I know that there are there's lot people have a lot of opinions on on OPMs, right, and how you know, how they should be used, uh, you know, where they should be used, etc. Could you just flesh out? For us, kind of, you know, Mickey's unfiltered thoughts with respect to uh, what enrollment management teams can learn from OPMs and why, in some contexts at least, they might want to operate a little bit more like them. 
sure. Uh, happy to. And it's, you know, it's interesting. Um, it seems like I've had more conversations around this in the past few months. And I, and I honestly don't know that it's related to what's happening in the world. Uh, but it seems like it's just been more of a, of a, uh, a focal point for some institutions. You know, some schools absolutely need an OPM. Uh, some uh, use it because they want it. Some use it because they have to. And, and some don't need it at all. Uh, some probably don't have it and should be considering an OPM. But, you know, if I think about how those organizations uh, and companies work to help a school um, engage and convert a prospective student, uh, the level to which, and we talked, I think, a little bit about this um, in different contexts last week, but, you know, the level to which they look at their numbers and metrics and react and respond to those numbers and metrics is where you're going to see the biggest difference between a school who has one, operates like one, or doesn't. Um, that's, you're going to see, you're, you'll see that. And, and when, so when we talk about looking at a landing page and thinking about the number of words on a page, that is scrutiny over everything you do. That's t- the type of level we're talking about. Do we think about that in terms of our emails, not just our automated marketing emails, but our emails that uh, our recruitment team is sending one-to-one? Are we looking at how long they are? Are we looking at when an re- admissions counselor or a recruitment person is engaging via email with a prospective student and asking for whatever it is we need to be asking for. If it's to have them attend an event, to send us a transcript. If we're looking at how we start that email, how we get to that question and that ask, and how we close it out. You know, I am a generally very lighthearted person, but I also in my email tend to try to be pretty direct so that I don't say in 50 words what I can say in 15. Um, and that style works for me. It doesn't work for everyone, but it doesn't mean you still need to have 50 words if it doesn't work for you. Um, or at least that you don't wait to the last 10 of those 50 words to be where you put your ask. We want to get to that so that someone actually reads that email, uh, and then takes that action or is more likely to take that action. That's kind of our goal here. And, and, and there are just many institutions who just aren't set up to do that. But that's the level of optimization that we're looking at. You know, are we looking at the actual phone calls that someone has and makes with a prospective student and kind of to track the effectiveness of those phone calls? Do we look at how prospective students convert from various stages of the enrollment journey based on the conversations that they have, the conversations they have with the recruitment team or by recruitment person? That can be scary to some people to think about accountability that way. And it's not about trying to hold people accountable. You can do that, but this is about understanding what works and what doesn't so that we can fine-tune everything we do to optimize around what works at every level, at every form of engagement. And that is what an OPM is going to be looking at. And that's rarely what a school not using an OPM is looking at. So for all the the naysayers out there or the the people that are like, yeah, yeah, Mickey, I, I hear you, uh, w- but we also, right, like we just don't have the resources that an OPM would have. Um, what are what are some like, uh, even if it's just one thing or maybe, maybe one or two things that you think schools could do, enrollment management teams could do uh, 
over the next couple of months, right? As you know, we're we're obviously hitting summer, so it's 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 an odd time. But as we sort of gear up for for the fall, what are even just two things, and and maybe even two behaviors that um, that enrollment management teams might be able to mimic from OPMs? In an ideal world, right? They're obsessing over every email. They're thinking about every phone call. They're they've got all the tools and 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 the right tech stack to help highlight where they need to be spending their time in each and every day in, in the most valuable and in optimal ways. But if schools don't have those resources, what are what are you know one or two things folks can do to start heading in that sort of direction? Well, if you do not already have um, some of those metrics in place to understand where your gaps are, find a way to try to find some of that. Um, Let's look at at minimum on a very regular basis. What's the impact of these emails we're sending out? What is the engagement rates? If you don't know those and aren't adjusting based on those, then you're missing out on Mm -hmm. low hanging fruit. If you have any type of email messaging system other than your SIS, you have the ability to track an open and click rate. And while a lot of people have it and kind of look at it here and there, are you adjusting based on it? So the simplest thing is to take a moment. We're we're nearing a short lull period. If you work with online programs, graduate programs, degree completion programs, you know, this is a little bit of a lull. If you have your next start date in the fall uh, in, in August, let's take a week and a half to look at that. Find three of the worst performing emails and do something to correct them and improve them. Hmm. Um, and if you're a traditional age, you know, if you're working with traditional students, the same thing, you, you, your June one deadline came, you want to try to follow up to see those who didn't respond and tell you yay or nay, you've got some work to do there, but we, we're kind of at that short law we have. Um, this is the time where you can go about doing that. You can look at that. Um, let, and then the other thing, if I were looking at a second thing, and this will be focused more so on, uh, online programs, but let's talk about speed to response. Is there a way that you can be faster to respond. And if your resources are tight, resources not necessarily meaning the money, but staff time, then what can I do to filter my prospective student pool down to find those students that are worth that time, the limited time I may be able to commit to that to increase my response rate, and then start contacting them and speeding that response time up to those students um, after I find that right target. I, I would do those two things for sure. I love it. What just uh, anecdotally, one of the things that we've been looking at is just uh, you know our enrollifies uh, open and click through rates and sort of what are what emails that we send get the the best engagement. Why do they get the best engagement, etc. And one of the things that that we've uh, we've noted is that when we use ellipses, so the dot 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 in the subject lines, we have a twenty percent on average higher open and click through rate. When we use an ellipses in the subject line, then we then when we don't. And so what we did is we 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 took a look at the past twenty emails that we've sent. So just just the past twenty emails, we probably send three to you know four emails a week. So just over the past couple of months here, um, and and that's one of the observations that we've come to. And so for the foreseeable future, at least, we're going to be using ellipses in our subject lines. Um, so again, that was, uh, just anecdotal and, and somewhat tangential, but, um, uh, thought I thought I'd throw that little nugget in there as well. Good. I mean, I, I use them in my out of office replies, <laughs> by the way, actually speaking, of, how speak, no, that is. speaking of auto office replies, your auto office reply, I sent you an email last night and the kickback that I got 
I honestly, like I, the first thing I did was like, oh wow, he, he responded so quickly. I opened it and I read it and it actually took me probably, you know, longer than it should have to realize that it was an auto reply. Uh, so, so well done. If anyone's looking for auto reply tips, uh, <laughs> just, just send Mickey Baines an email. Send it this week. <laughs> I, um, I take more pride than I should in my out-of-office reply. I'm going to be honest with you. And if any one of my colleagues at Canadian Company or anyone that knows me really well is listening right now, um, they're also laughing because they know I take too much time and pride into those. I try to handcraft every time I turn one on. Um, that you know, if, if, uh, you want somebody to read it and get something from it. And if and if if you're going to get an automated response from me, I want it to be me. And so I I write those and try to have something that's like me inside of that to let you know, hey, I'm not there, uh, but then also to to give you something fun for your day. If I can throw something out there, um, I do it, and, and I do it for every every out-of-the-office reply um, I send. I love it. I love it. Um, can I tell you about this cool, uh, noteworthy campaign that I stumbled upon earlier this week? Sure. Thank you. Um <laughs> so this was actually a uh, uh, an alumni uh, email. So I, I went to to George Mason as as you know, um, and as at least I think you know, um, and they uh, uh, I get alumni emails every once in a while. I mostly just delete them because they aren't particularly engaging or interesting. Um, but this one really, really caught my eye, and I wanted to bring it up because I think that enrollment management teams um, could. Can, there are some takeaways for for those folks from uh, from this particular campaign and effort. So what it was is Mason was inviting me to a virtual alumni event, and it was a financial management 101. It was a virtual happy hour, and what they were doing is they had brought together a couple of. Uh, alum who were going to be uh, putting on this event, talking about just basic sort of tips and tricks for um, uh, personal financial management, uh, how you should think about starting to invest, uh, what resources exist, etc. Um, and you know they invited you to bring your favorite happy hour beverage, um, and uh, all attendees were going to be uh, 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 eligible to win some some like Visa gift card or something. Um, but anyways. What, why I wanted to bring this up is because I loved this idea and, and why I actually, I did tune into the event for, for a little bit and it was, it was actually run pretty well. I had to jump, so I didn't, wasn't there the whole time. But what was really neat about this is uh, I felt like what Mason was doing in, a, in addition to just trying to provide some sort of alumni engagement was they were putting out a resource uh, for me to learn something incredibly practical, something that was like valuable and helpful to me. So again, it was a, it was a pretty basic overview to be honest. Um, but you know, it was called 101. but that is the kind of engagement. Like I would love to see enrollment management teams, specifically graduate enrollment management teams uh, do more of like, how can you think about in a world where grad fairs are are going away, travel is going to be, you know, what who knows what travel is going to look like. You're going to need really creative pivots in order to generate new inquiries and to to move people along in in their journey to enrollment. And I think doing things like these short like classes, like these trainings um, and enticing people with, you know, language about like it's going to be a virtual happy hour, it's going to be fun, you know, and engaging. Um, 
that is a really, really, really cool alternative to just a online, you know, program information session or an online program open house. So again, I don't know what, what your thoughts are on this, Mickey, if you've seen stuff like this, but um, this was this was the first time that I had received an email from uh, from Mason with something like this. And I think that this could easily be pivoted and, and translated into uh, a recruitment event. Absolutely. Um, in fact, I would if if I'm going to give takeaways from this episode, uh, and I and and maybe we talked a little bit about this last week, but but if we did, I'm going to say it again, and I'll repeat it. You know, finding ways to pivot off of what you've done in the past uh, to recreate what you need to do for today is an important step. So thinking about you know, because we did talk about this some last week, we talked about how we were going to replace the leads that we're not going to generate yeah. through these. Um, on-site events that you're doing, but pivoting and finding the right event for you that isn't just a virtual open house. I'm not saying you can't have a virtual open house or that that's not important, but what is a campus visit like when it's when it's virtual versus the on-site or traditional looking campus visit? And the same thing with open house. Yes, that may still will, uh, will be very relevant for you. However, Finding some other way to engage and attract, how can I get a student to have a conversation with a faculty member? That provides value to the faculty member who's giving up their time for that. Uh, and it might be talking a little bit about a particular program, talking about a particular course, talking about a particular topic. You know, if you, for a psychology professor, how do, might, could it be a conversation about how to handle varied emotions around pandemics and switching from on-site to online programs. And maybe that's a conversation we can offer to prospective students to attend and join or something like that. What, what else can we pivot to that will be different? And I, and you did share that email with me um, from Mason and I, and I agree with you. I like it. It's different. They're connecting you with other alum because you have a fellow alum from Mason that were there uh, speaking at that event or talking a little bit about what they do and, and helping teach about financial management from a real estate perspective, potentially. So, you know, I think that um, that's a great event. And that's what I really, you know, we've, again, well, I'll go back to what I said a little bit ago. We got a little lull uh, to think now's the time to start thinking about those. You don't want to wait till September to start rethinking your events if you have to rethink events. Um, so this, this would be a great time to, to begin that process. Yeah, and I think too, you know, just to to add on to that, this is a, an exciting opportunity for uh, advancement and enrollment management to to work together because, and and to collaborate on something like this because I think that enrollment management teams can go to advancement and say, hey, look, we want to design, you know, four alternative information sessions where we actually want to highlight and, and have a couple of alumni talking about their craft, talking about what it is that they do, and we'll find a way to, you know. Uh, use language that helps uh, translate this into a information session slash recruitment event or, or, or what have you. But um, I think that uh, on the alumni side of things, like people would love to be a part of something like this. Like if I, if George Mason came to me and asked me to uh, chat with some prospective students about what it is that I do and, you know, why I love enrollment marketing like I do, right? I, w- I would do that in a heartbeat. And if they could, if, they, if we could work that into a, Hey, spend 25, 30 minutes talking about a, uh, a, a lesson that, you know, uh, folks might be interested in tuning into in the last, you know, 10 minutes or so, maybe even talking about your, your experience at Mason, right? Uh, it's, it's a win-win for the enrollment management team, for the advancement team, um, and for prospective students. So, 
uh, I, I love this, this idea. And I was just, uh, I was actually pretty, I'm just the traditional, as you were saying, open houses and, and really think critically about, okay, how do we get people to tune into virtual content that is truly compelling, that is truly educational? And how do we also ensure that there's enough recruitment e stuff in there to, uh, to generate, you know, qualified inquiries post the event? Absolutely. All right, Mickey, uh, we are running out of time here. Um, any last tactics, takeaways, uh, words of encouragement for people as they head out into, uh, well, the weekend, but then uh, uh, their next uh, work week? Well, uh, so I'll circle back to, to those two points we, we just mentioned and to say that we've got a time. It is a great time to start thinking about what did work, what hasn't worked, and what you, what areas do you need to focus on based on your June one results of, of knowing where you are for fall? So, are there types of engagements and communications that you can improve upon um, for what has already occurred? And then thinking forward, how can we begin pivoting and changing our events so that we're not just having over and over? Because you know, like you, Zach, I see a lot of information and emails that schools are sending out. Uh, and I see that a lot are having these virtual open house or information sessions. And while those, again, can be relevant, how can we diversify what we're offering so it's not the same old, same old? If I attended one of those and have not yet engaged or enrolled with you beyond that, why am I going to want to attend that again? And yet that's still all you're offering. What can you offer in addition to that and finding those types of topics and experiment with them? Um, because it doesn't cost you a heck of a lot to pull one of those together if it's a topic. But how can we experiment with different topics to find what will work and what will engage? And I think that's that's something we should be thinking about in the next week. Fantastic. Well, Mickey, thank you for uh, taking some time to call in from uh, the beach. Enjoy uh, enjoy the day. Hopefully you get into in, in the water there. I don't know if it's... How's the temperature? How, have you been in the water yet? I've been in the water. The ocean water is a cool 72, 73 degrees. Mm. The uh, air temperature has been nice. Um, my preferred uh, beach weather, it's been real feels in the low 80s, okay. which is what I really like with a nice breeze. So just warm enough so you can get in the water. Um, maybe not stay in the water all day, but you get in the water and it'll definitely cool you off if you need to. It's going to warm up a little bit the next couple of days. So uh, my kids are more excited about that than I am. <laughs> uh, but that's uh it's, it's we we're fortunate to be here we're fortunate that we have a good week of weather uh, and it's not too crowded so that's what we've been looking forward to fantastic well enjoy it and uh thanks for being here thanks for uh, everyone for for tuning in to episode number two of fanatical fridays uh feel free to reach out to mickey or myself if you have any feedback for how we can improve this segment and make it more relatable to you and your contacts uh have a fantastic weekend and we'll see you next week thank you all mm-hmm.